Hi, this is the See You Next Tuesday podcast. We have dirty words and shit potholes throughout the entire episode. Our name literally spells cunt. How could you not know what was coming? Thanks for listening. Hey, y'all. Welcome to See You Next Tuesday. I'm Jesse. I'm Amanda. And if you're counting, which we aren't anymore, 79 uh, yeah, is the I, episode we're on. I stopped counting. I know. <laughs> a long time ago. I don't know why I felt the need this time to like, oh yeah, what episode is this? I just was like, yeah. Yeah. So here we are. Here we are. Thanks yeah. for hanging in, guys. Yeah, seriously. It's been real rough lately. It has. It's been a rough start to 2023. It's been a tough year already. I really thought this would be like it, the year. <laughs> Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not. I thought maybe this would be the year we all heal from all the trauma. I don't know. No, is my trauma is just continuing okay. and getting worse. I don't know. <laughs> just, or maybe this, maybe that's what it's supposed to feel like when you're healing. I don't know. It's just all, uh, My but, trauma is legit getting worse, so yeah. I don't even know. Well, you have updates since the last time we talked to our cunties about... And you have a, a new family member, is what I should say. I do have a new family member. Her name is Penny. She is a little bitty kitten. And we saved her from the local humane society. She came from a very bad home. And she was very skittish. And she had to learn that we loved her. So she lived in our bathroom for, what, two weeks? Yeah, something like that. And then... Because we are who we are, we decided at 10 o'clock last night that we were going to let her out the bathroom and into our bedroom. Oh, no. So how old is this cat right now? Like four weeks. Four weeks old? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah, she's going to go crazy inside your inside your room. So what happened last <clears throat> night? Did you get any sleep? Probably not. She raced around the bedroom and... Her and our other cat, Puma, actually got along just fine because she had been, every time she would hear Puma on the other side of the door, she would put her little paws under the door and like, oh, try, try to play. play. Uh huh. Yeah. So he knew she was in there and he'd be like, what the fuck is in there? You've got something in there, yeah. motherfucker. What's going on? And he was actually pretty mad at me for a while because I would go in there to play with her, right? And get her used to me or whatnot. Sure. And honestly, the reason why we let her out of the bathroom, don't think I mean, this is what the Humane Society told us to do. And it's because, y'all, I'm old, and I just could not take sitting on that fucking bathroom floor anymore. Yeah. Well, because, okay, so, frame of reference, she came from, like you said, a bad home. It was a horror situation, that's what we were told. And, yeah, she was not loved. So she needed to be separated because you already have other animals, mm-hmm. and for her to feel comfortable to then get assimilated to the larger group yes. of people, which is very very common. Yes, when and you get an she was like not used to humans. Yeah, she needed thing. to get used to humans and get used to humans wanting to pet her and love on her and know that humans were safe people. Right. Because to her, humans weren't safe, and humans were to be afraid of. So that's why you had to. Sleep on the bathroom floor a couple nights in a row there? I didn't do it all night. I would just fall asleep on the bathroom floor where, while I was trying to get her to trust me. 
And I couldn't move afterwards. I was like, girl, what are you doing? Like, I wanted her to love me. I know. I How could she not me. love you? And we named her Penny because, so as soon as we would pet her, she was purr so loud. Like, you could hear it. She is a purrer. <laughs> and it would sound like an engine. And this is the way my mind works. If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm a little crazy. And I was thinking of names. And I couldn't name her right off the bat. Because, y'all, the Humane Society gives these animals these terrible names. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mine was, like, Lula May. And, and I was like, oh, oh, oh Penny's on. was worse. It was tuna. She doesn't look like a tuna. She just doesn't. No. Like I get you have to name them, no. so at least they have something there. But and and <laughs> Pumas was carrot when we got him. <laughs> carrot. Yeah, I swear they have their children name them. You know what I mean? Like their kids. Yeah. Don't name them tuna. I, I don't even. Which know. is cute. But so, yeah, I get it. And I'm a believer of like you got to get to know their personality and things like that. But yeah, of course. So like I wanted to wait until she was assimilated and running around the house with her personality and stuff, but. I'm lying on the bathroom floor one night and I'm like, oh, this poor baby girl needs a name and she's purring real loud. And, and I'm like, this is like an engine. And for some reason, my brain goes to, remember the cartoon Wacky Racers? Mm-hmm. And I think of Penelope Pit Stop and then, you know, Penny is a nickname for Penelope. So I'm like, Penny, her name is Penny. I love it. I love it. It's so perfect. And it fits her. So her name's Penny, and we let her out at 10 o'clock last night because I had several glasses of wine because I can do that now that I'm not taking my other medication anymore that restricts my drinking. And we let her out at 10 o'clock at night, and she's racing around the room, racing around the room. Well, first she, like, kind of was timid, and then eventually she started racing around the room, racing around the room. Puma's looking at me like, the fuck is this bitch doing? Yeah. And then we go to bed. We go to sleep. We wake up this morning. Puma's vomiting all over the bedroom. Oh my God. And I'm like, what's wrong with Puma? I'm like, do we need to take him to the vet? What's going on? And then my husband looks at me and he goes, you know those kitten treats you bought, Penny? I go, yeah. He goes, you left them out where the cats could get them. They ate them all. Oh, no. Well, no wonder. Was she okay? Or was it mainly Puma? She was fine. But Puma was like, I shouldn't have eaten that. Yeah. Dude, it's like he's hungover and he's like, oh, I made bad decisions. Have you seen how fat Puma is? (laughs) He's a little chonk, yes. So he's probably the one that ate all the treats. And Penny probably got no treats because Puma is like... And you, you've been doing good. You've been putting him on a diet. I know you were like, we're cutting back on this. No, and all stuff, I didn't put him on a diet. I thought you he did. Up his, oh, I said it, but I didn't oh. do it. Every time he cries for food, we're like, okay, buddy, and fill up his bowl. Oh, gosh. No, you can't give in. I know it's hard, though. I know. I got, this, I got screamers, too. They'd stare at me like I'm a jerk for not feeding him all day, every day. And I'm like, guys, no. Okay. When I didn't think he was this fat, but now that I have this teeny tiny penny... Dude's fat, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had to do two a days, two a day feeding, morning, night. That's all you guys get. Well, that's Boom. what we were doing, and now he's super fat. So now he's only gonna get fed once a day. <laughs> oh, baby. He's vomiting all over my bedroom as we speak. Normally, he gets to roam the house. He's not, not getting to roam the house today because I don't know where we're gonna find Bobbin. 
Like, mm. my boys are out playing paintball right now. Nice. So, he's stuck in the bedroom with Penny, so I'm sure he's going to hate me when I get home. Because when I left, Penny's <laughs> around the bedroom like she's on crack. In fact, Podhubby said to me this morning, he goes, what did you put in her food? Crack? And he's like, no. Nothing. None of that. None of these things. But good news is, last night, like... I did feel a cat sleeping by me last night, and I thought it was Puma because, you know, that's what Puma does. No, apparently it was Penny. She did sleep on the bed next to me at some point last night. Yeah. And he said she moved to the bottom near his feet at some point before she was back to zooming around the room. That's cute. On crack. (laughs) Cat crack, otherwise known as those treats, apparently. Yeah, the kitty kitten temptations, don't buy those. (laughs) They will induce crack, like oh. zooms and vomiting. <laughs> I just think it's so funny. You're going to go back home and it's just going to be, you're going to open up your door. And it's going to, my room's going to be full of a vomit. Mess. And a disaster. An absolute disaster zone. Do you need to go? Do you want to go? <laughs> and we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> oh my God. I'm glad you got her though, because I know. You, like, you really bonded with Puma. And I was like, yeah, cats are great. So, had this, your first, this is your second cat, right? So, this is what happened. Okay. Pod Hubby said absolutely no more cats because we have two dogs and a cat. He was like, no more animals, no more animals, no more animals, no more animals. And then I saw on Facebook somebody was giving away kittens. And I said, honey, look, they're so cute. And he was like... Send them a message. We'll go look at them. And they weren't responding, weren't responding. And so they had a black one that I thought was super adorable. And they were like, oh, that one's spoken for. And I was like, well, you know, all the, they're all adorable. Can What's your address? Can we come by? And before they could respond, I it clicked in my head. I'm like, if we get one of these neighborhood kittens... We're going to have to take them to the vet. We're going to have to pay for the spay or neuter. We're going to pay for all the shots. We're going to have to pay for the microchip. That's hundreds of dollars. Yeah. And I tell this to Pod Hubby, and I say, hey, if we just head on over to the Humane Society, it's like 70 bucks, and they come with all that. Yeah, it's all done. You know they have everything that they've been taken care of. Yeah. Right. And so he goes... Okay, we'll head over there. And then remember when I told you I saw that one online that mm-hmm. we were going to go look at? Well, that one was adopted and we so we they were almost they were like empty of cats and kittens, which is good. Yeah. That's a good thing. And so they had Penny and she was just so sad and needed so much love. I was like, she's coming home with me. Broken. She needed home. Mm-hmm. Trauma knows trauma. That's right, baby. That's right. <laughs> You're like, I see you. I feel you right now. Let's and, go home. <laughs> and the lady at the Humane Society, she was not letting us take Penny unless she knew we were going to like give her a good, loving home. That's also good. Yeah. They were not just going to give up Penny to just anyone. She sounds like she was kind of bonded to Penny, too. Yes. She, she like, actually has already emailed me checking <laughs> up on her this week. And I was halfway through my email while I was getting my hair done on Tuesday when I didn't go to work because of ice. Oops. In your defense, your hair place is like walkable. 
Yes. Not drivable. I literally, I get on a road for 10 feet because I drive through a parking lot, 10 feet on a road, and then in the parking lot of my hair place. Yeah. So you could walk there. Yeah. Yeah. Versus your work is miles away on a highway. Correct. And if you, if any of y'all have seen the news in Texas, we, anytime y'all see ice or snow coming our way, just know hundreds of thousands of us will be without power. Somebody, unfortunately, won't make it. Lots of people won't make it. And it's like, remember in National Lampoon's Vacation where they go to Wally World and John Candy says, sorry, Wally World's closed, folks. That's Texas. Sorry, Texas is closed, folks. Pretty much. And then, like, we're all just left to fend for ourselves and just kind of bootstrap it because they're like, ah, they're Texans. They're, you know, they'll be fine. It's like, well, yeah, we have to be fine, but we don't like this. So, like. It's a shit show. The weather, the emergency services, and all first responders, you know, police, fire, EMS, they're all saying don't go anywhere. Yep. But our jobs are all going, come on in. It's fine. It's totally chill. It's totally fine. And you're like, how about not? How about I so, don't do that? So you have to risk your job and balls up and say, I'm not coming in today. Mm-hmm. And then pray to God that you still have one when it's safe to go back. Because the employer's got it in their head. Yeah. So that's what I did. It's kind of crazy. So yeah, we're not prepared for it. So if you've seen the news, you get it. That's what happened last couple weeks anyway. Yeah. So Anywho. You're writing the email back to the lady. So she obviously has a vested interest in Penny as well. Red I, I didn't finish my email and that was like several days. So I've got to finish my email to her. Yeah. Yeah, I let her know. Like, I'd started telling her, I let her know I changed her name from Tuna to Penny and the whole story behind it. And <laughs> I'm sure she appreciated that. But I, I got to finish that email. Yeah. Like, everything in my life, I start it and I don't finish it. And You got a lot going on and then you'll get distracted by something else. And then you'll be like, oh, God, I forgot. I got to send that, that email. I got to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I get yeah. that. I'm right there with you. You know, it's like... I just want to sit on my couch and watch Chicago Fire. Right. Is that, like, seriously. And then just, like, have your bills be paid for somehow. You know? Like, not even have to think about it. Just be like, yeah, and they're paid. Yeah. That would be really fucking nice. I know what you mean. I'm right there with you. It was, I'm fortunate enough to work from home, and I was able to stay home on my, our usual office days. Thank God. They're very kind. They were like, yeah, no, obviously stay home. But it's... It's kind of crazy whenever you're you're you are at home like that all the time going like this would be nice <laughs> to just do like how do I just do this <laughs> like yeah I just I get it absolutely did you have another story I felt like there was another story you had I do I have a medical update do you oh, want that yes. now or on our next actually no episode? you were gonna mention a few things on the remember about people who reached out. Yeah. I didn't know if you wanted to say that. Yes. Let's go ahead and do that now instead of next week because, like, I don't want them to wait another week. No. So, I we did have some people reach out after I told my whole medical shit show. <laughs> yes. And I really do appreciate it. It's very touching to me that people care because a lot of people don't. Or also, like, or understand, you yeah. know? So... It was really cool to see y'all just go, hey, and check in. and Yeah, and say we get it Yeah, because 
it sucks. Yeah. But I did get everything taken care of on my ice days. Yeah. And here's ready for the shitty part. All I had to do was make a phone call and say, hey, what's the delay? I see on my app that my medication's delayed for coverage. And when I called and said, hey, can can you like let me know what's going on? It's delayed for coverage. This is what they said. Oh, it was for your pre-approval, but we have that right here. We just have to send that to your specialty pharmacy. I said, can you please do that? She goes, oh yeah, I'm going to do it right now. And in my head, I'm thinking, why the fuck didn't you do it when you got it? But it wasn't the person I was talking to's fault, and I wasn't going to take it out on her. Right. I wasn't going to be that person. As frustrated as I was, I knew it wasn't Diane's fault. I don't Right, we're going to go with Diane. That's a great name. <laughs> I love that. I would love a Diane to answer a customer service call. Hi, my name is Diane. I can, how can I help you today? And you know, like, she'll start off saucy like that, but then she's, like, really your best friend. Right. You know? Yeah. She's sitting there with her nail file and shit. Yes. Yeah. You know, because I knew it wasn't the girl who answered the phone's no. fault. No. That they were sitting on my pre-approval and not sending it where it needed to be sent. And that was the most frustrating thing. Like, I just had to pick up the phone and make the call and ask the question. And then they did their job. And it's like, do your fucking job, man. I don't. <sighs> so then, as soon as it got sent, like, the next day I get a phone call from the specialty pharmacy that says, we got your pre-approval. And here's the thing about, we've discussed my husband being in the union yep. and his insurance situation. And here's the thing about his insurance and different people are going to feel different ways about this. And I actually, I'm not upset about this, not at all. So they're going to cover my medication, but they do require this certain little thing. They require me to sign up for this a copay assistance program for them to actually cover it but it's not for them to save money it's so at the end of the day i pay nothing which is i mean ideal right like who wants to pay i mean exactly it right. is an extra step yes right but but honestly all it required me to do was make a phone call and say i need to sign up and they're like okay great i need your name your address your phone number in this case, with this particular medication, I did have to be signed up for the manufacturer's copay assistance program, but I had already done that back in December, so they just needed that information. I was like, okay, great. I got it right here in my purse. So after my insurance covers my medication, the cost is going to be over $11,000. Then the manufacturer's copay assistance is going to kick in, and then... Um, my other copay assistance through, it's called Savon is going to kick in, and then I'm going to pay nothing. I just, okay, I'm just sorry. That's just the, the amount that you just said was just, like, that's not... Every a, six months, it'll be over $11,000. How? 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 I'm, I am telling you, like I said, pharmaceutical is big business. No, absolutely. But like, like I said, it better come with nice champagne and caviar <laughs> as this is happening. I want to be sold in a a gold tray and I want a little mini Hermes Birkin bag to be brought. Here you go. Like right for $11,000. I want it like a top notch experience. That, that is literally my portion. That's insane. 
That is not even the full cost. That's that is my full? portion. Can you imagine people who don't have insurance? Oh, or God. can you imagine people who insurances don't say, hey, there's this extra program you <sighs> can sign up for? Which, okay, couple of things. Hey, everybody who's not in the U.S., this is how much it costs to live here with any medical anything. Period. Mm -hmm. Anything. It is insanely expensive. This is why the show Breaking Bad makes sense to us. Sell meth to pay medical bills. The rest of the world makes no sense to them. I mean, and here's the thing. I could go pick up an Oxycontin prescription for 50 cents. Yeah. Whereas your medication is eleven thousand mm -hmm. dollars, or stupid shit. Okay, so antibiotics, right? Had to get antibiotics the other day. Sixty-five dollars for antibiotics before insurance. I get if it's two bucks, right? But those are fucking. It's antibiotic. I could go. I could fly down to Mexico, and like walk into like a normal store and be like, "Yeah, here you go." It's like an over-the-counter shit, right? It's insane. So there's that. <laughs> Yes. So at the end of the day, I got everything taken care of because I didn't go to work for two days because of ice. And all it did was me to re require me to call and remind them that, hey, you got to send this over and then make one more phone call and sign up for a copay assistance program that is going to mean I pay zero dollars for my medication that costs almost 12 grand. <sighs> Thank God. Right. And I mean, I know there's going to be people that feel some sort of way about this being a requirement, but they're doing it so I don't pay anything for my medication. Which, hey. And there's a lot of people's insurance companies that don't require that, and they're going to have to pay that $11,000. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean. You know, and so for me, it does not make me upset it makes me grateful that they are looking out for their employees mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and saying, we don't want you to have to pay this. No. And we have found a way to cover your medication and make it cheaper for you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, thank you all so much for being concerned about her and yeah, her Yeah, and plight. reaching out and, and, and having empathy and saying, you know what, we see it every day and it sucks. Yeah. And and we see it in in this industry and this industry and, and you know, because a lot of times people go, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Trust um, me. People don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. One other, actually two other shout outs. So, we have started a new Patreon series called Guilty Until Proven Innocent. Mm -hmm. And we just released the first episode right now. It's on Patreon. And do you, do you mind if I say who it is? You kind of buried the lead on the episode, but I mean, it's like all over. <laughs> it's in the title, I guess you could say. Sure. Yeah. Okay, we're going to do Rodney Reed. It's a Texas one. You've probably seen, you know, posts from, you know, Kim Kardashian about him or anybody else. But yeah, he was a, actually Amanda, you were the one who brought him to me, God, back in the day. And we're yeah, like, look at this crazy so, shit. And I was I like, I think it what? was even before we started the podcast. It was. It was before the podcast. So this is one of those things that you finally now have had the chance to have a platform to talk about it. He is, boy, we believe, railroaded into this situation that he's in right now. Thank God he's not on death row anymore. But, yeah, but he's still in there. And it is Texas, you know, one win at a time, shall we say. But. Just so you'll know, if you join our Patreon, all the proceeds, and we're saying all the proceeds, but really we mean all the money we're going to get from February until the end of the series, 
we're going to donate directly to the Innocence Project. Yes. And so we're not going to take any of the Patreon money for ourselves. It's all going to go to them. We feel like it's a really important cause. And just so you know, I think, I don't know if on our Instagram anymore, but on our TikTok, we actually are supporting, I believe, the Last Prisoner Project as well. So if you guys feel so inclined, it's a, it's a similar but not matching situation for that one. But yeah, we definitely believe there are a lot of people who don't deserve to be in jail right now in our country. Yeah. It's and- crazy. I don't want to spoil my next episode, but I'm just going to say systems in other countries work differently. Yeah. Yes, they do. Hmm. Okay. She's like really stoked on, on who she's doing. So I'm just like very curious, but yeah. So check that out. We'll have one episode or one person, I should say, might be a couple episodes depending each month. Um, Mm -hmm. so we hope you enjoy that and we hope these people get out of jail more than anything. Yes. Because I mean, if you're guilty, you deserve to be in jail 100%. Oh yeah. But if you didn't do it, you shouldn't be in jail. It should be this simple. It should be this black and white. But unfortunately, as we know, it's, it never is. It never is this black and white. It's insane. So Second shout out is you have a new coffee place and yeah, I'm a little bit of ways into the cold brew right now. Oh, how is that cold brew? It's good. Is it better than? It's yeah. Okay. Okay. Black guys. Rock Coffee Bar. You know how much we <laughs> love Dutch Brothers. But it's not like we're, we're okay. We're, we're not like going completely away. We'll still get Dutch, right? Yeah, I, I, I will. But if I had a choice between the two, I'm going to go to Black Rock Coffee Bar. Us. Don't hate us. So this is new for us, Black Rock Coffee Bar. Apparently, oh, wow, they're in Washington, Oregon. Oh, my God. I just forgot ID, Idaho. Wow. (laughs) California, Colorado, and Texas, huh? Udaho. Udaho. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But they've got a really fucking cute, like, symbol. It's got, like, you know, a star and a lightning bolt right up my alley. But how is yours? You got this, like, amazing energy drink. Okay. I got the energy drink. You guys, you have a choice between original... Sugar-free and organic. I got the sugar-free. Fucking amazing. You know how sugar-free shit normally tastes gross? Oh, yeah. Like, It's amazing. I got coconut lavender added to it. So good. Dude, I really like the lavender coconut thing you've been doing. Like, I never would have thought those two go together. But they do. They're very, they're complimentary. So heads up, guys. Little flavor combo for y'all. Delish. Yeah, I embarrassed myself last time I went to Dutch Brothers. I was like, I can't go back again this week. So this was on my way and I thought I would try it. You can mobile order, which I'm sorry, that's always a big plus for me if I can mobile order. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's part of the reason why, I hate to say this, sometimes I used to just always go to Starbucks is because I could just on my way to something, grab something Mm -hmm. versus having to walk in, order, wait, get it, go. And that's shitty because I know, I guess what the thing is, is, is this a quick experience? I need my caffeine or is this like I have a moment and I can take a moment? Right. Yeah. I like you can mobile order. I'm a little pissed off that I tried to download the Black Rock Coffee Bar app. It's only available on iPhones. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So I'm a little upset so you're saying, I'm going to order for us, and you're going to give me money. Okay, got it. Yes. <laughs> I'll so, you. wink, wink. But I'm a little bit upset about that. But I can mobile order from the website, so it's not that big of a deal. No. It, 
I created a, an account. I can mobile order. You can mobile order. You can pick up through the drive-thru. The drive-thru was pretty fucking quick when I picked our order up. And they have the energy drinks that I love because I don't really drink coffee. Yeah. And, yeah, and the, like I said, they're cold brews delish. And, and they have Olive. an extra large, which is great because sometimes you need a bigger than a large. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just followed them on our podcast, through our podcast Instagram now. It looks like they also have a hot, they had a hot ginger peach tea with honey at one point. Oh, that, that sounds, sounds delish. Amazing. Delicious. Oh my God. So I think those are all our announcements for the last 45 minutes. Thank you all so much for listening. And we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <sighs> Honestly, dude, I, it's just, it's been a hell of a month. Like already. I don't know how Year. it's possible. I mean, I, I'm done with 2023. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to fucking move on mm-hmm. to something better because <laughs> this is not working for me right now. You want off this train? Somehow? I really fucking do. <laughs> I really fucking do. I need to jump out of the toxic waters into the clear waters. Got it. Well, I'm not going to help you, unfortunately. This is actually an SP episode that I'm about to do. Oh, I love that for me. Yes. Love that. This. Do I need booze? Because I can have booze now. Oh, you do need booze for what this you, one. What you got? We have rum, tequila, whiskeys. Oh, get me the tequila. I'll add it Burpins. to my energy drink. Yeah. Texture pot up. <laughs> Bring the t- bottle of tequila. He's like, what? It's like 9 a.m. What are you doing? <laughs> I have no shame. Yeah. It's it's house hotel, right? Who cares? That's um, right. This one's wild. Like I put her, it's, it's a her, put her on my list and I was like a while back and I'm like, I'll do her eventually. And then holy crap, when I got into this episode, I was like, what is happening? So this one's wild. Like I said, SP for many different reasons, sexual assault, female circumcision. We've got some dismemberment in this one. There's a lot going on. So gear up, Dude, everybody. When you thought, when I said I can't take more trauma, you said, <laughs> you know what? Yes, you can. Sprinkle, I'm going to test this theory and see if I can push you over the edge and actually get you committed because you need a little vacation. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks. That's what friends are for. <laughs> so today I'm going to talk about Omaima Ari Nelson. Okay. She was born in 1968 in Egypt in a poor village near the Sudanese border. Omaima said her childhood was rough and that her dad was physically and sexually abusive to both her and her mother. According to a Medium article I used as a source for this episode, which by the way, was phenomenal. I'm going to just cite it real quick. Delani R. Bartlett, November 22nd, 2021, medium article about Amima. Very well written. A lot of different information I found through there. So according to that source, Omaima was also subject to female circumcision, which is painful and traumatic. And just so y'all know, we actually did cover this quite a bit more detail. If you want to learn about a star mom who also went through that, Warwis Dire on episode 26 has that. Oh, look at you bringing it back. Chisako was also on there. That was the one where you did the, she's a black widow. So check that episode out. It's wild. So Mima's mom was like, we're going to get the hell out of here when she was young. She left her husband behind, but they're living in poverty. So they had to move to a slum in Cairo built around tombs that was called the city of the dead. 
And I guess there's a lot of oil around Cairo. Okay, don't ask me about the geopolitical politics of oil and shit. I don't know it. I don't understand it. So if people are like, well, of course, this is new to me. (laughs) I mean, you're not going to tell us how like the oil and the... Nope. How, why we're not Mm -mm. producing more barrels. I got nothing. I got nothing for you guys. Oh, you're (laughs) nasty. Boo. So she met an oil worker from Texas there when she was 18. Oh, this is sounding familiar to me. Is it? Okay. and A little bit. Okay, I'll keep going. And age 18, 1983, her mom was like, this is your way out. Take, take this deal. You know what I'm saying? So she did. She left with this boy. They moved out of Cairo for a better, better life. And she married this guy. The marriage didn't last very long. They moved to Texas in 1986 and she was just kind of stuck there afterwards. Like, okay, well that didn't work out. So she started doing what she could to survive from housekeeping, a nanny. She was a model and she was very pretty, I have to say. So you'll see a photo of her. She's, she's a beautiful woman, but this wasn't enough money for her to survive on. So she started dating men and she wouldn't just date men. She would date men to use their money. So she would date a guy, use his money. He'd get pissed. They'd break up. She'd move on to the next guy. Rinse, repeat. Just boop, 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 boop. So she'd always have like a place to stay, nice dinners, clothes, whatever. But she would use that guy's money, essentially. Now, girls do this. I don't think it's necessarily right. I don't think it's a good thing to do. Because like, it's under the guise of, I like this person. It's part of dating. But really, you're just stealing from this person. That's right. a totally I mean- different thing. That's that's really shitty. But she got one up to it a little bit more. One guy said she tied him to a chair and robbed him at gunpoint, a shotgun. So she was very serious about her money or the money she was gonna take from this person. I mean Yeah. It's it's ratcheting I have, up. I, I have I have feelings, but go. Yeah. Go ahead. During this time, so we're in the 80s, she didn't just stay in Texas. She also moved around the country, eventually landing in Orange County, California in 1991 at the age of 23. There, she met another Texan, 56-year-old Bill Nelson. And if the the last name is any clue as to what's about to happen, then her last name is Nelson. In true Texan style... He's talking it up, saying he's rich and he has all this land right in front of her. And then she saw he had this giant wad of cash that he was flashing around, you know, all this kind of crap. I'm sure he did. Uh Uh-huh. And she was like, gotcha. So they started dating and got married a couple weeks later, even though he was already married to another woman at that time. He took her back to Texas to meet the family. They were not impressed. I mean, which I mean, I get First of all, how much do you know about this person after only a few weeks? And also, like, the age gap is a thing. She's 23. He's 56. It's going to turn heads if it's a man or a woman or vice versa. It doesn't matter. It's going to turn heads. I mean, it turns more heads when it's a woman who's older than the man. Let's get real. That's very true. The other thing is, from what I understand about Bill, now, I read a few articles that said conflicting things about what the hell he did for a living. One said he was a pilot. One said he fixed a computer equipment, the Medium article did, inside his house. So that's what he did, how he made a living. Another one had him doing a, to- a totally different kind of job. So from what it sounds like, he was like 
not, he was a good man, but he wasn't all the way good. Like he would do some shady shit on the side. Like one time I think he got in trouble for like stealing some stuff, but for the most part, he tried to stick to kind of the the straight and narrow. Yeah. He would talk it up, eat too much, drink too much, smoke too much, but he was one, you know what I'm saying by this? Like he wasn't necessarily a bad person. Yeah. He was I just mean, one of those kind of shady. Every he'd actually accidentally steal something, but. No, I'm not saying most... accidentally. I'm just mean like he stole something, but. But for the most part, he was a good person. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. So this guy wasn't an upstanding citizen, but at the same time, he wasn't, you know, a total dirt bag. He wasn't you know? like a mobster. Right. Exactly. I'm sorry, mobsters. You're great people. <laughs> All two of you that are still left in the country. <laughs> don't, don't come after me. Don't come at me. I'm so, so sorry. She was also younger than some of his children. You know, I'm sure they were all like, hi, ma, new stepmom, about to be stepmom. What's I mean, happening here? I've never been in that situation, but that's got to be weird. Right. Little, little like, okay. And just so you know, they got married after those couple weeks, right? And this was their honeymoon, was him touring her, her to his family. So they went through Arkansas and Texas and stuff, and then they went back to California. Oh, so it was like a show and tell parade. Yes, after the marriage. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So they I went. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's a. That's no. That happened. I know. I feel achy. They went back to California to their home in Costa Mesa after this. And Thanksgiving rolled around a couple more weeks after they were married. So they were married around late October. Thanksgiving's rolling up here. Bill calls his daughter to invite her over to have Thanksgiving with them, and she refused. She was, like, not happy with her dad's life choices at the time. You think? She was a little upset, yeah. So on that same day, Mima claimed that, SP, Bill had raped her, so she grabbed a nearby lamp and hit him. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he did. Then she grabbed scissors and started stabbing him in the chest and stomach. This didn't kill him, so she grabbed a nearby iron and beat him to death with this, breaking it into pieces as she was hitting him. So here's my question. I understand, like, if somebody rapes you, you want them to stop and doing what you can to get them to stop. But once you've gotten them to stop... Why are we going to do more that? Scissors, iron, yes, yes. Now, I've also can understand the heat of the moment where you are literally like, you don't know what you're doing, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you don't know where you're at. Mm-hmm. You're just, your body is moving at that point. Mm-hmm. But I agree. At some point, if you're not impaired somehow with drugs or alcohol or whatever, right. don't you kind of snap out of it and go, what the hell am I doing right now? Even if it's somebody who's attacking you. Yes. I understand what you mean. Yes. So now she was stuck with the body. And she started to dismember it on the kitchen floor. Here, This is going to get pretty gnar, i.e. Catherine Knight, y'all. So just heads up. She removed his hands and boiled them in the oil that was left over from, like, I guess on the, on the chick, like the turkey, because there were turkey meat and oil on the stove, and his, she put his hands in it to remove his fingerprints. His head 
was deep fried also before it was put into the freezer for later so she could break out his teeth to destroy that evidence. Other body parts went into garbage bags in her red Corvette to dispose of labor later and probably at a different location. Is this ringing a bell for you? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. She had hung his torso in the bathroom from clothes hangers above the tub, draining the blood out of the rest of it. And if anybody's deer hunt, you know what I'm talking about. Kind of like that one you did in Australia. Catherine Knight. That's exactly what I was saying. Is that, was that Catherine Knight? Mm-hmm. That was married to the rich guy? Oh, no. She wasn't married to a rich guy. He, she was married to a slaughterhouse guy, but... I'm talking about the rich guy that she was poor, and then she married the rich guy, and... Oh, Elise Matsune. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That w- That's another one. Good. Good. Look at you. Nice. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> you win the dismemberment game. What does she get? Trauma. <laughs> More trauma and therapy bills because I do a true crime podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So then she put other parts of his body down to the garbage disposal. Something that the neighbors said they heard running for hours. Even saying that it was grinding sometimes like it was straining on something. Lastly in the horror show, she told a psychiatrist later that she prepared Bill's ribs with barbecue sauce and ate them oh and that they quote tasted so sweet why why do you have to eat people i don't know that's gross but here's the thing like that this is why we do a dry rub in texas you know you don't want your bill to be too sweet you want it to be just right you want it to be kind of tender and juicy where the sweetness isn't overtaking the bill flavor right why do we have to eat people? I Y'all, don't know. I can't with the eating now, of people. She later recanted this, saying, oh, I never did that. This is why I'm never going to do Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. Mm. Well, yeah. Also, you can't. We can't technically, right? Is that against the rules to do Dom? Dom. Like he's my BFF. <laughs> what the fuck? He's a piece of trash. You know, Dom. <laughs> he's your best. You know, Bond. <laughs> You know, G for Gacy. What the fuck? I I need therapy, y'all. I need therapy. I need to stop watching SVU on my free time. Jesus. (laughs) Take the wheel. (laughs) I'm just snorkeled. Go, just go. I gotta go. So three days later, early morning, December 1st, after all this cleanup, okay, she shows up in her Corvette at a previous boyfriend's house, Jose. And she's there crying, pleading with him to help her dispose of Bill's body. She was saying that he had raped her and that she tried to, and that she had to kill him and dispose of his body. And Jose noticed that there were cuts on her hands and her face. Well, Jose was a fucking G. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just go get a truck. I'll help you sort this out. No big deal. Instead, he called the cops. That's what's up. Jose's like, fuck you. I am not going down for any of this. This is a you problem, lady. Absolutely not. Yeah, because he's not fucking stupid. No. Cops showed up, and they started with the Corvette, because she's sitting in it. And they're like, what are with these garbage bags, lady? And they looked inside, and they saw what seemed to be human organs. She claimed that Bill had killed someone and put those in the car not her, and that, you know, he was conveniently away on a business trip in Florida. So here's where she made a mistake. You don't eat the ribs, you eat the organs. Organs are good for you. 
Yeah, exactly. Everybody knows that. So dumb. Dumbass. (laughs) They got a search warrant for the house after this evidence because a fucking course they did. And they went to the house and then they saw, you know, everything I just told you earlier. She was obviously arrested and taken in for questioning. And when she was taken in for questioning, she was all over the place as to what happened. She would sometimes act like Bill was alive, like he's away on that business trip. And that, oh, no, actually, he did rape her and she had to do what she did. And then that a voice, quote, like a demon, told her to do this. And then I also read another thing that said, like, she said that the her ancient Egyptian heritage or gods or something like that were calling out to her and telling her to do these things. I don't know. My thought is she's scrambling, trying to find a reason to give these people as to why she did what she did. And also, then they examined the cuts on her hands and on her face. They weren't consistent with, like, defensive wounds. They were consistent with, like, I'm cutting up things, wounds, meat, wood, whatever. And when you're cutting something up in a way that you're not paying attention, it's a different kind of cut than a defensive, oh, my God, it's going to be on your arms and hands. Right, you're going to be, like... This. Yeah, absolutely. Because your hands are going to be like in a in fist. Or in front of your face yeah. versus like, we've all cut ourselves with, you know, cutting tomatoes or whatever. And that's a different one. Yeah. So she was also given a rape kit at the hospital after she claimed about the rape because that's, they do their due diligence. And there, but the, no evidence was found for rape. Now, first of all, to be fair, this is three days later. And... From what I recently learned on the podcast Buried Bones with Detective Paul Holes and Kate Winkler Dawson, Paul said that sometimes rape doesn't show trauma on an exam, and even if you've been raped, which I thought was interesting. I thought it would always show trauma, but I mean, that's also probably why it is so hard to with rape cases is stuff like that, you know? So I just want to throw that out there. To be fair, if this is what happened, then the evidence wasn't there. Right. The Emmy pieced Bill back together and noticed that he was also castrated among all the other injuries. Also, they found that the bedposts at the house were broken off and that Bill's severed hands showed signs of ligature marks. But it was hard to say because of the cut marks at the same place, like on his hands. Mima got a, a psyche eval, and this is where she mentioned eating Bill where she later recanted it, and they diagnosed her with PTSD and a psychotic. So one year later, December 1992, her trial started after being charged with first and second degree murder. They were not playing. No, they were like, "Mm, I'm sorry. Yeah, if we can't get you here, we're going to get you here, lady. Mm -hmm. The prosecution argued this. This This is how they surmised the night went down. She seduced Bill into consensual bondage sex and asked for money. Makes sense, right? Bedpost broken off. He has ligature marks. She's like, we're going to do this kinky sex shit. And then she gets him where she wants him. Okay. She ties him up on the bedpost. Okay, first of all, men who are listening. <laughs> anytime some woman offers for kinky bondage sex, fucking say no. Unless she's the one being tied up. Because she's going to kill your ass. <laughs> hey, honey. So I was thinking tonight what we can do is like have a super kinky bondage sex. We just had a fight. I know. It's like totally fine. Everything's fine. Say no. Say no. Because guess what? Run away. I read a book. Guess what happened? This. Kinky bondage sex. But worse. 
She hung his ass over the balcony to make it look like suicide. Oh, my God. I mean, it was a fictional book, but still. Still, that's, that's wow. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So they... Say no to bondage sex. Yeah. Unless she's being tied up. Or like you both have like safe words and things like that. I mean, like, just be safe. Just be safe is all we're saying. I'm just saying. This is where it gets wonky so they basically said that she tied him up she did the you know you you gotta play the game you know you do the thing and then at the end of this couple day hour session however long who knows she asked him for money essentially like saying like give me money like or i want this he said no so then they're surmising that she you know then beat stabbed beat him to death did all the dismemberment blah blah so her defense said that she had PTSD from her childhood and that Bill was abusive for all four weeks they were married. Four weeks. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. First of all, they were only married for four weeks. Now, he may have been. We I'm don't know. I, exactly right. But that Thanksgiving is when she's stating that he had raped her while she, while she mm-hmm. was restrained in the bed and that she hit him with the lamp, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she had no memory of the dismemberment. Now that would be a great, if you had ligature remarks on your wrists mm-hmm. and then you could say, look, it was both of us or whatever. Right. Right. That would be plausible, but they didn't find any of that. And all she had were like cut marks on her hands and her face. Well, the jury deliberated for six days, and on January 1993, they found her not guilty of first-degree murder, but guilty for second-degree. She was sentenced to 28 years to life and has been up for parole a few times in 2006 and 2011, but they were both denied because she didn't take any responsibility for her actions. Well, yeah, they were like, mm, no, this isn't going to work for us. Pretty much. And in 2026, she'll be up for parole again. I don't think they're ever going to let her out. I don't think so either. I mean, it it makes sense. And I can see how she could have been triggered. Like, it, the defense makes sense to me. Right. But I think they're just, in this specific instance, too many cases of her making making choices the other way. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it, it's, I don't know. I don't know. It was wild. I was like... This is a this is a crazy. I've never heard this. I I have heard this. You've heard this. Okay, was yes. it like on a TV show? Like where have you heard this before? I don't remember. It was probably some true crime documentary snapped something. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think it was on a snapped. It was Not probably a snapped. Okay. Yeah, probably something like that. Yeah, I don't watch that stuff anymore. Yeah. Cuz no I shit. do this old Day, yeah, it's a lot. All this research for this that I just can't watch the true crime documentaries anymore. Yeah, I get it. Absolutely. Now I watch Chicago Fire. And let me tell you, I feel so crazy because there are so many seasons of it and I'm just binging the shit out of it. I'm so invested, like these people are my friends. <laughs> when I think one of them are going to die, I get anxiety and I'm like no no not Herman no no not Mouch no not Casey and then when somebody does die fucking cry yeah I sit on my couch crying your husband's like really and I'm like don't look at me not right now dude I'm watching my stories okay I'm like don't look at me (laughs) and then last night 
a character that we had never seen in any other episode before died. And I'm on the verge of tears. And my pod son goes, I go, don't look at me. Don't look at me. And he goes, oh, no, not emotion. We can't see you show emotion. He's right. Ooh, talk about calling you out on your emotional vulnerability. God dang. Man, he is just like on top of it. Don't you hate whenever they're right? It's the worst. Let me tell you. <laughs> These kids in that age generation. Yeah. They'll be fine. Oh, God, yeah. Because they actually know about all the stuff that we've had repressed for how many years now? Yeah. Yeah. No. No, son. You're supposed to repress it like mother does. Like you're supposed to. <laughs> we don't show emotion. <laughs> Not in this house. Mine doesn't show emotion. <laughs> oh, so, who do you have for us today? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to lift you up and you're going to feel so good after that. Yeah, after, after that Whatever trauma. that was. Because yeah. this right here, this right here is going to make you feel good. I'm excited. Ready? Michael King Jr. was born January 15th, 1929 to Michael King Sr. and Alberta Williams King and was the middle child. Both the King and Williams families had roots in rural Georgia and Michael King Jr.'s grandfather, A.D. Williams, was a rural minister for years before moving to Atlanta in 1893. I think I know who you're doing. And he took over a small, struggling Ebenezer Baptist Church. And it only had around 13 members when he took it over and made it into a thriving congregation. A.D. married Jenny Celeste Parks. And the couple only had one child that actually survived, Alberta. I love that name, by the way. Jenny. I love the name Jenny. I love the name Celeste. It's J-E-N-N-I-E. Okay. The the I-E is, I don't know why I like it a little better than the Y. I don't know why. Okay. It's a little different. Yeah. But Michael Sr. actually came from a family of sharecroppers in mm. a poor farming community. And he married Alberta in 1926 after dating for eight years. Come on, man. Shut her get off the pot. Okay. That's the total opposite of what I had just happened. For, you know, two weeks. Yeah. Not long enough. Eight years. Homie. Make decisions. I know. <laughs> and the newlyweds moved into 80s, AD's home in Atlanta. And Michael Sr. took over as the pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church when A.D. passed away in 1931. Michael Sr. became a successful minister and he decided to go by the name Martin Luther King Sr. in honor of the German Protestant religious leader Martin Luther. And Michael Jr. would eventually adopt the moniker and become Martin Luther King Jr. Hell yes. Okay, I was like... Things are adding up. I'm hearing names I know. Ebenezer Church. Okay. I know exactly who you're doing. Hell yes. That's right. I'm doing Martin Luther King Jr. Fuck yes. Hell yes. Why did it take us I so don't long? Know. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Because I was like, okay, keep going. I'm very excited. Keep going. I was very excited because you know what? I learned some things. Because they don't teach this shit. In our schools, which is absolutely criminal. And I put this at the end, but I'm going to move it up to the top. Please. This is not going to be as detailed as it needs to be. 
Because we could be here for 35 days. Yes, literally. We could have a whole podcast on this person. Oh, just that's it. (laughs) Yes, we could. And I am afraid that I'm not going to do it justice because it's not going to be as detailed as it needs to be. Just know that I'm doing this because I think Martin Luther King Jr. was a great person and he deserves to be recognized. And I am, I hope that I do this as best as I can in the time that we have and I'm just highlighting things that I could. I think you're gonna do great. Okay. Martin Luther King had an older sister. Ready for this? You're gonna love this name. Willie Christine. Willie Christine. Yes. With an IE. Willie. Uh-huh. Oh. Hyphenated? No. But it's like Willie Christine. That you have to say the names together. That's I I don't know. That's just what it said her name was. We're gonna go with it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And a younger brother asked Alfred Dan. Now, in the King home, Martin Sr. was the disciplinarian, and Alberta, she is the one that balanced out Martin Sr.'s strictness, as it should be. I cannot just imagine. Oh, I love her. You know, but the King children, they grew up in a secure and loving home. Like, it wasn't like he was a tyrant and, you know. Yeah. So, while I'm calling him Martin Sr., and Alberta tried to shield their children from racism, they couldn't shield them completely. And Martin Sr. actually fought against racism, not because it affected his race directly, but because he considered racism and segregation to be an affront to God's will. And he strongly discouraged any sense of class superiority in his children. And this actually left a long-lasting impression on Martin Jr. He's absolutely correct. So this actually started way before... Everyone really started talking about it. Right. Like it became a national talking point. Right. Right. Martin Sr. actually started fighting racism before MLK Jr. Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. So this was not, we all credit. Right. MLK Jr. Of course. It seems that he was just taking on and growing upon the things that he saw his father already doing. Right. Which I'm sure his father was doing it on a small scale and he started doing it on a larger scale. But I'm sure it's because he had more opportunities to do it on a larger scale than his father did. Sure. Given the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Junior. Started school at five years old, like all kids do. I mean, that's not... Pretty standard, yeah. You know? And in May, he was baptized. And actually, it might shock you, it might not, but that didn't really have an effect on him, being baptized. And I mean, he was a pastor's son, and that's just what you did. You got baptized. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if he's Baptist, that's right about the the right age. Yes. I mean, it wasn't like a big epiphany for him. Mm Mm-hmm. So in May 1941, when he was 12, a very traumatic event happened to him. He disobeyed his parents and he went to watch a parade against their wishes. And while he was at this parade, his grandmother, Jenny, had a heart attack. Oh, no. He was so distraught that he jumped from the second story window of the King home. And it's alleged that he was attempting suicide. Oh no, oh no, sweetie. I don't know. Again, it's it's a long time ago, mm-hmm. so we're not really sure. Records, we don't know. An intent, you can't say. Right. Yeah. 
He could have been playing and fell off the roof. Yeah, that could happen. Martin Luther King Jr. attended Booger T. Washington High School, and it is claimed that he was a precarious student, and he skipped both the 9th and 11th grades. Damn. So he actually entered Morehouse College in Atlanta at just 15 years old in 1944. I didn't know that. I didn't know he got a... He was like one of those like wonderkins. Holy crap, dude. Yes. Damn. And he was a popular student, but, and he was a little unmotivated and just kind of floated through his first two years. Yeah, because he's like that smart. I mean. He's like, why am I here doing this stuff? Who just floats through their first two years of college? Like. Not me. At 15. (laughs) Not me. I mean, oh my God. Even though he had really deep roots in religion and church, he questioned religion in general. And this is what led him to decide against entering the ministry. Interesting. But then, in his junior year, he took a Bible class, and this is what renewed his faith. And he began to see himself having a career in the ministry at that point. Mm. So he had a time in his life where he was like, I don't know about religion at all. And I am not going to pursue ministry, even though he would, his past two generations... Did were it. ministers and pastors of the church. Right. And I think when you have that in your family, you probably do go through that. Oh, yeah. It's probably not abnormal. Of course. Martin Luther King Jr. graduated with a sociology. <laughs> I promise she didn't bring me the tequila. Sociology degree from Morehouse College in 1948. And then he began to attend Crozier Theological Seminary in Chester, Pennsylvania. And he actually thrived in the seminary and was valedictorian of his class in 1951 and elected the student body president. And then he earned a fellowship for graduate school. So he was super smart. Oh, yeah. I mean, as anyone probably assumed. But this one might shock you. He was kind of a rebel. <laughs> well, I mean, he was a pastor's kid. Yeah, but also, like, of course he was. He wouldn't yeah. have done all those marches. Exactly right. You know what I mean? But he, re- he rebelled against his father's conservative nature, and he drank beer, played pool, and wow. even got involved with a white woman while in college. Wow. Okay. I know. So he... <laughs> Very progressive. Yes. Like, yeah, I can be the cool pastor. <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay. right. And so he decided to continue his education at Boston College for his doctoral studies, and while working on his doctoral degree is where he met Coretta, Coretta Scott. Oh, God. I just, I cannot with her. She's like such an icon. And she was an aspiring singer and musician from the New England Conservatory School of Boston. Dude, that is no shit, like hard to get into shit like that. You know what yes. I mean? Like you got to be fucking good at what you're doing. Yes. So, Coretta and Martin Luther King Jr. were married in June of 1953. Oh, a summer wedding. I love that. And they had four children. Yolanda, Martin Luther King III, Dexter Scott, and Bernice. Bernice, yes. Bernice King. Aww. Then in 1954, while still working on his dissertation, he became the pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. He completed his PhD and earned, which he, in 1955, at only 25 years old. He, what? He had a PhD at 25? Yeah, what were you doing at 25? I was going to say drinking at 
<laughs> Name a place. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I mean, yeah, um, that's interesting still, I think. Something like that. Yeah, that uh, makes you feel a little bad about yourself, <laughs> doesn't it? You know, no big deal. It's whatever. <laughs> oh, God. So, and now, this is when he got involved in his civil rights movement. Because on March 2nd, 1955, is when a 15-year-old girl named Claudette Colvin refused to give up her seat on the bus to a white man. And you can find out more about her on one of our episodes as well. Just mm-hmm. search Claudette Colvin. She was right before Rosa Parks, literally. Exactly right. Actually, like, nine months. Yeah. This, she refused to give her seat up to a white man on the Montgomery City bus, and this was in violation to a local law, and she was taken to jail. The local NAACP intended to use this to challenge the segregated bus policy, but then it was discovered that Claudette was pregnant, and the civil rights leaders were afraid of scandalizing this opportunity and making it less credible to the white people. Yeah, it's really shitty. It's because she was a teen mom and all this crap, and it was just... She didn't look right. So when Rosa happened a couple months later, which, by the way, was her friend and one of the leaders of the NAACP, as you know, she basically said, look, I'll take it. I'll do it for us, essentially. So December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks happened. You all know the story. I'm not going to tell it again. And on the night she was arrested, the head of the NAACP met with Martin Luther King Jr. and the other leaders... To plan the Montgomery bus boycotts. Now, this was big shit, y'all. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. was elected to lead the boycott because he was well-trained, young, with solid family connections, with a professional standing. And he, Dude, exactly right. What black man Optics. at the time, exactly, had a PhD, his wife was like this incredible artist, like it looked good, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And shitty as that is to say... They had to have something like that to, they almost have to do three times as much work to have Mm -hmm. the exact same amount of credibility as just a regular ass white person, in other words. Exactly right. So Martin Luther King's first speech as the group's president put new energy into the civil rights struggle in Atlanta, Alabama. I don't know why I said Atlanta, because I wrote AL and that's where my mind went. Hey. In Alabama. (laughs) Alabama. So the bus boycott lasted 382 days and the African-American community took legal action. And after being defeated in several lower courts, the city of Montgomery lifted the law mandating segregated public transportation. About fucking time. So this victory actually spurred African-American civil rights leaders to realize they needed a national organization to help coordinate their efforts. So they were like, you know what? We actually did something. Yeah. We did something. And if we coordinate our efforts on a bigger level, maybe we can make more things happen. Yep. So January 1957... Martin Luther King Jr., Ralph Abernathy, and 60 ministers and civil rights activists founded the Southern Christian Leadership Conference to harness the moral authority and organize the power of black churches, and they would help conduct nonviolent protests to promote civil rights reform. It wasn't about religion, but that is where... They could 
you know, organize. Yeah. In, 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 I will say this. I don't know how I want to say it. Yeah. No, I get that. Leaders, a lot of black leaders, from what I understand, I'm going to say this from my knowledge as a white person, they were leaders in their communities a lot of yes. times. Of yes. course, they're going to gather the leaders of whatever community no matter what title they hold, to go, right. we're all going to do this together. We're going to make a national organization. Right. So you're right. It's not necessarily like a religious organization, so to speak, although there is Christian in the title. It's more about, look, let's play on our strengths here. We right. have strength in numbers, and we also have strength in our in our churches. It's our gathering places. It's where we, yes. we take care of each other. Yes. We come home here, and we have, you know, we go to homecoming with our families and things. So it makes total sense why you would do that. Yeah. Yes. So I couldn't think of how I wanted to say it. But it, and the important thing is nonviolent protest. Yes. Yes. The point is that we have, we're protesting like any nation protests, like France just protests, like, you know what I'm saying? But we're doing it in a way of, we just want to bring awareness to this issue. It's not about burning down this building and being, you know, take a look. It's more like. Hey guys, that's how you get shit done. That's protesting is how we founded this nation. (laughs) Yes. And then February, 1958, the SCLC, the, you know, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, you know what they did? They didn't protest. They did something even better. In my opinion, they sponsored more than 20 mass meetings in key Southern cities to register black voters in the South. There it is. That's what's up. OG Stacey Abrams. What's up? That's right. Love it. Martin Luther King met with religious and civil leaders, and he lectured all over the country on race-related issues. So he did a little tour while they're registering black voters in the South. Like They're doing like this grassroots... Literally. ...politician thing, but it's not for politics to be politicians. It's to make change... And it's basic human rights. Exactly. It's, right. it's for basic human rights. It's politicized, unfortunately, but it's like it hey was guys, the only way they were going to make change. Yeah, I have to do it this way. Exactly. They're working within the systems that were in play at the time. The, you know still, what they did? They said, "We see your system. <laughs> we accept your assignment, and we're going to pass it with an A plus plus plus." Yeah, pretty much. So we're doing everything correct. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said before, you have to do it super correct. Martin Luther King Jr. was a very intelligent man. And he said, I see your system and I know how it works Mm -hmm. and I'm going to use it to my advantage. Absolutely Not my advantage, but the advantage of my people. Yeah, exactly. To make change for us. And it did. And it did. And the other thing is he also was as he's like going around educating people. I'm sure he's also educating a lot of white people who had no clue. Yes, and uh, there's something about oh, that later. Cool. I didn't know. That's awesome. So in 1959, I didn't know this. Martin Luther King went to India and visited Mahatma Gandhi's birthplace. And the trip affected him in a profound way and increased his commitment to America's civil rights struggle. And his, his also probably his nonviolence. Yes. That's amazing. Exactly right. Wow. And so then Bay, Bayard, B-A-Y-A-R-D, Bayard, Rustin, who studied Gandhi's teachings, became one of 
Martin Luther King's associates and counseled him to dedicate himself to the principles of nonviolence. And Rustin was MLK's mentor and the main organizer of the 1963 March on Washington. Damn. Now that was insane. Now, eventually they did part ways because there was controversy on Rustin's part in regards to communism and things like that. Right, right. I, I mean, that's a whole nother wormhole. I'm not going to go down, but I am aware of that, of that history. Right, so you're not like looking biased at it? Yeah. Right, gotcha. right. Yeah. Like I said, we'd be here 35 days. Yeah, we could go on forever. I just want to say, I just want to talk about how he went to India and really kind of looked at Gandhi's work. Yeah, yeah. and how it affected him. And he was, you know, it really rededicated him to nonviolence. Mm-hmm. During the February 1960 Greensboro sit-in movement, he really encouraged the students to continue to use these nonviolent methods during their protest. Absolutely. And that really was because he had just come back from India and Gandhi's birthplace and recommitted himself to the peacefulness. Yep. And, you know, by 1960, he had all this national exposure. And so he had moved back to Atlanta and he actually became the co-pastor with his father of the Ebenezer Baptist Church. But he was still continuing his civil rights efforts. And so October 19th, 1960 is when Martin Luther King Jr. and 75 students entered the local department store and requested lunch service. And they were denied, but they refused to leave the lunch counter. Mm-hmm. So they were arrested. Yep. Now, the mayor was not a dumbass and realized arresting Martin Luther King Jr. was not good optics on his part. I mean... No shit, Politicians dude. aren't stupid. Yeah. So he negotiated truce and the charges were dropped. But not long after that, Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested on a traffic violation. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he was. Like, oh, you turned left on a one-way or some shit, you know? But guess who was on the ooh, political trail for president? JFK. JFK. Oh, yeah. So JFK heard about his imprisonment, and he called Coretta directly, expressing his concerns about Martin Luther King Jr.'s harsh treatment for a traffic violation, and political pressure got him released. That's exactly fucking right. JFK, y'all, that's another thing we can definitely talk about for hours. He wasn't a good man, but he also was an incredibly good man at the exact same time. It's bonkers yeah he he got involved because he heard about it and he was like no sir yeah exactly absolutely not he was like you're gonna let him go go fuck off yeah but then martin luke king jr found himself in jail once again in the spring of 1963 during a demonstration in birmingham when the police the city police turned dogs and fire hoses on demonstrators and this is when he wrote his famous letter from the birmingham jail And he said, and I quote, nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and foster such tension that a community which has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. Oh my God. His writings and just how he said things was just, it makes so much sense. Like, but he's talking about incredibly complex things and it just, it just shows you how intelligent he was and just how 
caring and kind he really was. It's just insane. When I listened to Amanda Gorman's speech. Oh, yeah. My God. I really felt the same thing. Oh, wow. I didn't think about that. You're right. As when Martin Luther King Jr. spoke. Yeah, you're right. It gives off that same energy of like this like odd, like tranquil strength. Yes. You know, like like when poised. I saw her spoke at the inauguration, inauguration, yes. I was just like, she is not reading a speech, she's preaching. Yeah, absolutely. It was fucking amazing. Yeah. And I did her on an episode. You, yes, you did. We've actually we have touched on a lot of people that we've um, done before. That's how I felt about her. Yeah. Is the same way I feel about Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches. Yeah. So August 28th, 1963 is when the historic March on Washington happened. And more than 200,000 people showed up at the Lincoln Memorial. And this is when Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. Which we don't even need to hopefully tell y'all about. But in case people have forgotten, yeah. I'm going to read this part. And it. I'm going to tell you how I feel about it after I read it. He said, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they do not where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Yeah. You guys, that was 60 years ago, and that still does not happen. Yeah. And it pisses me off. I had a whole conversation with my pod hubby about this last night because he had to do the math for me. I get it. (laughs) It still does not happen. You would think in 60 years... We would be in a place where this did not, does not happen. Yeah. It still fucking happens. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And, you know, it's the whole, it's more relevant than ever. It's like, that's not really a flex anymore, guys. Like, this is, it shouldn't be relevant. That's the thing. No. I'm so angry. It makes me so mad. You would think that. This would not happen. It still happens. It's been 60 fucking years. Why are you still behaving this way? Do fucking better. Yeah. I I don't... Yeah, do fucking better, man. That's exactly it. All the information that you need is on the internet. Literally. For free. If you ever have a question about something, find out. Like, there's no reason to be ignorant on these things anymore. So I agree. I mean, and all it boils down to is... If you don't like somebody, you don't like somebody because of who they are. That's different. That's all it is. Yeah, versus... That's all it is. If it you don't like be... Susie, you don't like Susie because she's a raging bitch. Yeah. That's that's different than color of the skin, sexuality, all these other things. Like that. That's, that's yeah. it. That's yep. it. People don't like me because I'm a raging bitch. Fine. You don't like me because I'm a raging bitch. Let's move on. Yeah. Glad we established that. In fact, great. I don't want you in my life either, (laughs) to be honest. I don't like you because you're a fucking cunt. Yeah. So let's move on. (laughs) Moving on. This is our I have a dream speech. (laughs) This is our speech. You don't like me because I'm a ragey bitch. I don't like you because you're a ragey cunt. Where are we at? Thank you for coming to my TED talk. That's my dream. (laughs) I'm sorry. It just pisses me off. I know. Pisses me off. I know. It's. Okay, and this is what I was talking about because 
This speech made people in cities not experiencing racial tension begin to question the nation's Jim Crow laws and other century second-class treatment of African-American citizens. And it's shitty to say that it doesn't matter in America until it affects white people. But it's true. It really is true. It, until it affects enough white people, it just doesn't matter in America as far as shit like this. Exactly So he right. had to do this. And again, it's nonviolent. He was literally saying, I just want my kids to grow up in a place where their skin color doesn't mean shit. But the good, I mean, what I love is this speech made people in places that weren't affected by it go, you know what? Maybe that is a bad fucking idea. Yeah, maybe like the whole segregated water fountains is stupid. And all it did was take a fucking intelligent speech. Mm -hmm. It didn't take violence. It didn't take, wasn't even a protest. No. It was just a gathering. It was just a people gathering to listen to a guy speak and that's it. Yeah. For people to go. Yeah, that's fucking dumb. And another thing is he wasn't accusatory. He was never aggressive. It wasn't like, fuck them, we're better, anything like that. It's just, I just want my kids to have an equal shot like everybody else has. That's it. All I want. For people to go, that's fucking dumb. Yeah. I'm a dumbass. Yeah. I'm a dumbass. That's what I love. So this actually resulted in the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Authorizing the federal government to enforce desegregation of public accommodations and outlaw discrimination in publicly owned facilities. And it also led to Martin Luther King Jr. receiving the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. Yes, he should. But then March 7th, 1965, Bloody Sunday happened. This was a civil rights march in Montgomery, Alabama that turned violent when police with nightsticks and tear gas met demonstrators as they tried to cross the Edmonton Pettus Bridge. It was not the demonstrators that turned violent. It was the police. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. We'd be here for 35 days. Yeah. I could tell you more about it. We also, there's a plenty, Selma, I believe is a movie you can watch about it. There's books about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's horrifying. It's terrible. And again, stuff that shouldn't still happen today, but here it we does. are. It does. Yeah. In 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was getting tired of all the marches, demonstrations, going to jail, threats on his life, and very little progress. In the spring of 1968, there was a labor strike by the sanitation workers, and that brought Martin Luther King Jr. out one last time. Like, this was going to be his final... Well, it was the end of his... It was going to be the end of his... Like, marches, essentially, yeah, throughout the country? because, you know... He's been doing it for, God, what, he, since the 50s? So, yeah, a good 10, 15 years? I think he was kind of getting a little discouraged. Yes, a lot of progress yeah. was being made, but yet a lot of progress was not being made. Right. There was a lot going the other way as well. Yeah. Absolutely. It's understandable. So, April 3rd... He gave his final speech and he said, and I quote, I've been a mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. The next day, while standing on a balcony outside his room at the Lorraine Motel, Martin Luther King Jr. was killed by a sniper bullet. The shooter, 
James Earl Ray was apprehended after a two-month international manhunt. Why is it always some dumb fuck like a James Earl Ray that exists? James Earl Ray, if I had to guess, I don't know. I, I don't give Google a shit it. about this human. Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't Google it. I didn't look into it. Why? Because I didn't fucking care about yeah. James Earl Ray. Same. But in my head, he lived in a fucking single wide on some some other piece person's of, property. Like, property mm-hmm. in bumfuck backwoods, Alabama. Yep. Sorry, Alabama. We love you. But we got bumfuck outwoods here too. So we exactly know. Right. We, exactly we, right. We know it we're talking about. It could be Texas. But this, for all intents and purposes, this is Alabama. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And he's and all he pissed. wore those white tank tops. We all know what they're called. I'm not going to say it. Yep. And jeans and maybe some suspenders. And he might be missing some teeth. Yep. And his wife left him and his dog ate his fucking meal and his truck don't work or whatever else. So he's mad at everybody and everything. Uh-huh. He's going to blame the black man. And his and wife probably left him because he beat the shit out of probably. her. Probably. Yeah. So we're going to say that that's who that human is. Yeah. Because fuck that guy. Exactly right. Yeah. And like I said before, could have gone on for 35 days, could have gone into way more detail about a lot of these things, but we got limited time here. So he, this was crazy too, because this was 1968. This was like right after, if I'm not mistaken, a couple months or a year after JFK got shot and Bobby, like it was like JFK, Bobby, MLK, like they're just like, Almost in a row, essentially. And America's like, what the fuck is happening right now? They like, probably lost their minds. Yeah. Which I get. Like, because we're kind of going through it now in a different way. Like, it's yeah. like, yeah, feel that 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 tension in the air, in the world, in our country at least, where mm-hmm. you're like, what the fuck is happening right now? So, do you have more about his after, like his family and everything? I do not. Okay. I stopped there. Like I said, I had to... I know, it's a lot. I had to, like, take things out, shrink it down. I, I already had, like, four pages. Once I increased my font, I'm now to, up to six pages. <laughs> you know? I know. I, like, we could go on. We could do a whole series on him. Yeah. I just feel like he was such a great human being and did so much for the civil rights movement that... I couldn't believe we hadn't covered him yet. Yeah, no. I And it's damn. February. It's Black History Month. It is. It is. And also, so I'm, I'm going to actually do it right now when we're talking about the King Center. No spaces, no little underscores. The King Center is a is actually the a living memorial to MLK founded by Coretta Scott King to educate on nonviolent social change and build the beloved community. Nonviolence 365. If you ever want to take a look at it, the nonviolent community is, is incredible, obviously. You can also, they have a recent campaign called Be Love. So it's essentially kind of pledging to be, you know, a kind difference in the world through nonviolence. And they also have like education programs. You can take classes from them. Like it's beyond amazing. So if you want to further your learning, highly recommend that. And amazing. And you can make change without being a dick and violent. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, it's it's actually better because it, you're reaching across with love and kindness versus aggression. And people take you more seriously. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because you're not coming from a place of... Mm. Hate and anger. Yes. Yeah, he has that saying, you know, hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. And he's, he's absolutely correct. He's and, correct. And if you want to not like a person, I get it. 
Nobody's- you have the right to not like everyone. I don't like everyone I meet. Nobody I don't like does. everyone I know. But it's not because of what they look like or you you are a, you have blonde hair. I hate you. Right. It's because of who they are as a human being. Mm-hmm. Like you're a fucking cunt. I hate you. <laughs> I have that right. Yeah. Just like you have that right to hate somebody or dislike somebody based on who they are as a human being. But you do not have the right to hate somebody based on what they look like, what their sexual orientation is. That's not okay. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. You heard it here first, y'all. We're taking hard stances on that. Well, we always have on that shit. But we're saying it. We're saying it again. So don't come at our people because we'll come at you. That's right. (laughs) I'm a raging bitch. Just ask anybody who knows me. (laughs) Oh, God. In fact, my husband told me last night. I'm going to be a professional wrestler, and Raging B is going to be my name. <laughs> B-E-E or B-E-A? B-E-A would be Bay. No, no, because like it's like B, like the beginning of like Beatrice, like B, oh. Raging B. You see what I'm saying? We didn't get into it that oh, detailed shit. because I looked at him like he was fucking batshit crazy, like a 43-year-old woman can just start wrestling out of the blue. Oh my God. Yes. It has to be raging B. Your colors are going to be, you know, orange and black. You're going to have like a B, not costume, but it's like, you know, it like has that vibe. Why are you jumping on this train? Because Because he said it meant he could stop working. He would just travel with me. Yeah. I mean, the Royal Rumble just happened. I mean, I get where he's at. I completely understand. But no, I mean, yeah. Hell yeah, dude. You should totally like do this. Well, we'll what let you know. What the fuck is wrong with you guys? <laughs> we'll let you know how it turns out on our, late, our next episode. Thank you all so much for listening to us. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday if I'm <laughs> still alive. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.